try becoming great at something because it's been really rewarding to me to dive really deep on challenging topics that I used to be really bad at. Because if you can speak clearly about whatever your passion is, that's what's gonna bring you the reward. It's about being able to be part of a community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and I'm here in my home studio. Tyler likes to call himself and other creators similar to him, full stack creators, because he really wears so many different hats in the creative field. Not only is Tyler a freelance photographer and filmmaker, he also hosts a YouTube channel with over 240,000 subscribers where he talks about tech, camera reviews, photography tutorials, and overall life content about what he's doing. Tyler also hosts his own podcast titled The Stallman Podcast, where he reviews what he again calls full stack creators who take photos, make videos, and love technology. Some of his most recent guests have been I Justine, Sam Sheffer, and Sam Elkins, to name a few. If that wasn't enough, Tyler is also business partners with his wife, Anya B, where they both shoot and creative direct content around her personal brand and her Instagram account that has over 100,000 followers. I've been a fan of The Stallman for a while now, and it was a real pleasure for me to get to know him much better over our conversation during the Golden Hour podcast. Before we get to that conversation, I'd like to remind you guys to please subscribe to this podcast in your podcast player of choice and leave a rating and review in the Apple podcast player if you enjoyed this episode. Doing a podcast with a podcaster is a lot of fun for me, and I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode a lot. So without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Tyler. All right, so we're here with uh, the one, the only Tyler Stallman, all the way out in uh, Canada. You make it sound far, but we, this is the internet. I mean, to the listener, I'm, I'm, I could be as close as you are, you know. I know, but we do need to say that you are definitely quarantined away. So we are not sitting in the same room together five inches from each other's faces, which is how I prefer to record podcasts. I use one mic, actually, for my guests often. Um <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. You know, like uh, like old '80s rock stars, like they would intentionally, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we're sing like holding up next it. To each other. <laughs> our hands are over each other's, holding onto the mic. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a look, it's a thing, because it's like clearly they could have had an extra mic on stage, but they wanted that look of like the guitar player leaning into the lead singer, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we could also lean back to back while we do it. <laughs> yeah, that's how we would be doing this podcast if you were here in California, but unfortunately your home in Canada. Uh, what's it like over there right now during this crazy time? Oh, well, it's quiet. <laughs> uh, we had, we've had a really, I mean, weather is the worst, most boring thing to talk about on podcast, but it's been a particularly long, bad winter here in Canada. So we <laughs> sort of like couldn't really even go out like normal outside, not just uh -huh. like, so not only can we not do regular activities, but stepping outside of the door was uncomfortable. Going on our balcony was freezing and snowing until last week. It was literally snowing. Um, so we're getting our first days of summer right now. And uh, that has made a big difference in everybody's mood. Just uh, having a little sunshine. I'm here in California. You're there in Canada. Uh, you know, we interviewed uh, Kai W last week. He's in London. Everybody across the entire globe is facing the same epidemic, and it's so surreal. And, if, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because obviously people might want to listen to this to kind of escape the reality of what's happening. But, but just acknowledging the fact that this is so bizarre and uh, we're all in this together and, you know, how's work been for you? Have you uh, have you had any effect on that? Have you had any friends that are freelancers that 
that are struggling right now? Well, yeah, I mean, even early into this, all of our contract work, all of our freelance production stuff was canceled pretty much right away. Uh, things were starting to drop off way ahead of time too. I mean, two months ahead, yeah. there was an event canceled because a you know Japanese camera company didn't want to be flying to America, and that was in January. Mm. And then, um, you know, things just kept getting canceled and eventually there were no more production jobs left because nobody's getting together in a group to do it. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, you know, we do other things that are, and when I'm saying we, I'm referring to my wife, Anya and I, cause we run a production company together, uh, separate from the social media stuff that we do. Okay. And, um, so now it's a time that I'm really glad that we do multiple things because that's all stopped, but you know, creating YouTube stuff podcasting, uh, Instagram, you can do all that from home. So yeah. we've definitely been keeping ourselves busy, just making things for us. Um, I'm fortunate. I'm very thankful to the sponsors that are out there that are still sponsoring videos. Cause you know, thankfully there are a few, um, but there's less, I mean, there's less of everything for everyone. And speaking of, of just talking about coronavirus in general on my podcast, I've been struggling with the same thing. Cause typically I try to keep it evergreen, like what, whatever I'm talking about. I, I want every episode to be listenable in the future, but yeah. lately I've, I kind of gave up on it because I find that when I'm listening to other shows, if there is, when the context isn't there of what we're all going through, mm. I, I feel something missing and yeah. my attention starts to drift a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to drag your, your show down, down to it, but um, <laughs> no, I agree. I don't know. I that's agree. what, that's how my, like, that's how my listening pattern has changed a little bit is that a lot of where my mind is, is, is thinking about how are other people dealing with this? What does this feel like to my podcast buddies that I, I like to listen to every week? And when they don't address it, I'm a little bit like, well, I'm not thinking about gear very much lately. I so, know. uh, what are you guys thinking about this whole pandemic right now? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's a way for all of us to connect with other humans and <laughs> because we're not right now. I mean, obviously, Zoom has <laughs> like had this crazy research. I can't imagine the offices of Zoom right now and like what's going on on their servers and oh, yeah. just like, you know, were they prepared server wise for this <laughs> and like all the nerdy details I would love you know, maybe in a couple of years when this all blows over, I'd love to see like a, a Vox or like a, like a, you know, type of do mini doc about <laughs> what was Zoom like during the pandemic internally, you know, because everybody can't be in the office, but they're dealing with this crazy influx of users. But yeah, I mean, this, I at least for me, I love the shows that I listen to. Uh, and my, my patterns have changed slightly cause I'm not driving as much. Um, but I still go out for walks. I still enjoy listening to podcasts, do, doing chores like dishes and, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it gives you this sense of comfort to know that the shows that you're listening to, the hosts and the guests are, are <laughs> right there with you. And, um, I think it's important. So well, I think for a lot of people that don't have a, that aren't suddenly in Zoom meetings all day, podcasts can be their main social time in the day. I mean, it kind of is like that for me. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, even before this, it's it's funny because our isolation, our self-quarantining isn't that different from some work weeks. Like, mm -hmm. uh, often we travel a lot for our, our work. And, uh, you know, at those times we're very social, we're like doing a lot of stuff. And then when we come back, we're just really like heads down editing and, and a lot of the work at home is 
literally at home, like in our apartment or in our studio. And we see a lot less people when we're, when we're doing that stuff. Yeah. So this has started to just feel like an extended version of, of that for me. And in those times, podcasts are so much of my interaction with other people because, you know, I can do it while I'm editing photos. Um, that's the main thing, actually. I mean, that's why I have a lot of time for podcasts is I can do it while I edit. So. Yeah. I, the only time I can edit and listen is when I'm doing color grading <laughs> because I, oh, right. yeah, that's the thing I hate about editing videos uh, is I can't listen to podcasts. I know it's so frustrating. I guess, uh, sometimes if I'm favoriting, uh, B roll clips or things like that, um, I, I can get away with it, but I don't know. My, Sneaky my, in. my little <laughs> measly, uh, man brain can only focus on one thing at a time so um unfortunately <laughs> i sometimes have to turn the podcast off like yesterday i was trying to build a grill because <laughs> we've, we've had this grill for like six years we got it when we got married and every place that we've lived <laughs> in we weren't allowed to have a grill and we finally moved uh, to a so you do have an excuse yeah and so i was listening to podcasts building my grill and i couldn't build the grill because i was my brain couldn't focus on the podcast and the instructions and I had to turn the podcast off and I was so depressed. I spent two hours building a grill and I didn't listen to anything. It was awful. Oh, misery. <laughs> what did yeah, people do relate. before podcasts? Um, anyways. They just, yeah, they had to do their own podcasts in real life by talking to each other, but <laughs> yeah. I can barely remember those days. Yeah. We have a rule in my household that I'm only allowed to wear one AirPod um, because... There's been a lot of moments <laughs> where my wife is trying having I a think full it's conversation. A great policy. <laughs> yeah, it is a good policy. But sometimes she'll catch me like, David, I see two AirPods in your ears. <laughs> no, no. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm almost always one ear, or AirPod. Like I very rarely put two in, but mine was voluntary. I already, yeah. I already had this policy because of that, because I want to be aware of what's going on around me at the same time. And especially now with the AirPods pro it can really isolate that sound a lot and if mm -hmm. you got two in yeah i mean you can you don't use that a, uh, uh no clue about what's going on which can be nice but you don't use that feature now that they have where it's got like the the ambient yes uh, well that is a very impressive feature but it's not it's not quite enough i mean i still can i'm pretty good at ignoring other things if i yeah <laughs> if i can not hear them i don't hear them <laughs> and the great thing about doing solo airpods is uh if one dies, you just pop it in the case and pull the other one out and pick up right where you left off. Well, exactly. You have double the battery mm -hmm. life. I don't know why everyone's not doing this. I know. And Apple is smart enough, too, to to blend a stereo mix into a mono mix when you only have one in. So mm -hmm. it, you're not missing anything. Back in the old days, if you only had one headphone in uh, and you're listening to the Beatles, for example, you're only hearing the left track of the album because back in like the, the 70s and 80s, for some reason, music was split in a weird stereo format all the time. Well, can I complain about this right now, actually? So I'm playing Final Fantasy VII, which yeah. the, the remake, you know, I've been excited about this for years. I've been absolutely loving it. Uh -huh. The way that it's mixed, the stereo sound as you, as you turn in the world is like that 70s Beatles on or off mono so if something's hard yeah. left or hard right it's a hundred percent so it, i and at, at, in the evening which is often when i'm playing i play with headphones but i'll do the same thing if i'll stick one headphone in but then i can't hear half of what's going on as i turn around so video games mix for these mono people and there's no mono setting either in the settings by the way yeah that should that should be a setting that'd yeah. be such an easy software fix yeah 
Anyways, great, great what's, setup. What's the show supposed to, to be about? Anyway, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this is the Golden Hour Podcast by Polar Pro. <laughs> if you're not familiar, <laughs> um, and we, you know, we've been we've worked with you before in the past, and uh, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Tyler's work. Um, Goodness gracious, go check him out. What are you doing? Go go on YouTube, search Tyler Stallman, go on Twitter. He's got a podcast, YouTube channel, all sorts of things. We can talk about all that, but I'd love to just kind of start just hearing your story in terms of how this whole thing began in your career. Like, where do you come from? What what the heck happened? Have you had a passion for this your whole life? Or, you know, when was, when was the moment that you decided that you wanted to be uh, involved in photography was that kind of the first foray into this creative world was it photography first sure i mean video? I'll, I'll try to do my fast forward bio and, and hopefully burn through it all sure. i mean talking about my talking about myself always feels boring to me but um you know i don't know maybe maybe somebody <laughs> will uh, find some utility in it out there but uh the long and short is in school i was taking multimedia which is just two years of here's how to make things on computers uh, a lot of it was focused mm -hmm. on websites you know we learned a lot of flash but also the basics of taking simple photos and editing them and uh, some audio and some video just kind of a bit of everything here's how a computer works and here's how you make stuff with it coming out of that um, the company iStock Photo had just started up in Calgary and uh, I'd gradually become mm. kind of buddies with the founder. And as soon as I graduated, he was like, hey, why don't you come work for me? So I was doing web design there, uh, you know, mostly coding and uh, HTML. And at that moment, uh, iStock Photo suddenly became the biggest photo website on the internet uh, out of nowhere. So they were just exploding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, coincidentally, it was right after they hired me. I'm sure I uh, had a lot to do with it, but uh, no, I didn't. I mean, I was a college kid. I didn't know anything. Um, so yeah, I was sitting there chopping up graphics and uh, you know, just kind of learning how the world worked, but watching this photo licensing company just blow up around me. And so I started to sell photos that I took through the website. Gradually, those stock photos started to make me more money than my salary uh, doing design. So uh, this led to this sort of dance of, I would, well, eventually, I mean, I quit my job at iStock to do freelance, but then I kind of came back and did other projects with that same team. So I worked with, after they were acquired by Getty Images, I worked at Getty Images for a while. Um, we did the startup for Life.com, which is the web version of Life Magazine, um, a project for the Saatchi Gallery in London. We took their collection online and also did a, it's a place where you can license or buy prints, which is, uh, yeah, from mm. Saatchi online. Then what else? Uh, and then eventually we did Stocksy, which is what's currently running. And that's where we license our photos now. And Stocksy is a co-op. So when iStock was sold, all the photographers got bupkis. They, you know, didn't get, um, really paid out in any way. And gradually they were squeezed for their royalties so that, um, mm. it's hard to make a living on iStock or Shutterstock or any of the really big microstock companies now. So from the beginning, Stocksy was about the, all of the photographers, the artists owning a piece of the company and being part of the decision-making. And if there ever was an acquisition, we'd all get part of it, uh, which there wouldn't be because co-ops are a pain to buy. You wouldn't want to buy a co-op. Uh, and so it's been great being there. Uh, we get paid a lot better royalty for the stock photos and it's a nicer community. So, well, that was all happening. Um, I also met my wife, Anya, uh, right. Well, we were, I, I, when I was doing the first wireframes for Stocksy was the week that I met her. 
And hmm. right from there, we started shooting together and basically started up our business on uh, on the other side of producing stuff at that same moment. And she is way more organized than I am and way more creative than I am. So she was coming up with all the ideas of what we were going to shoot and organizing people for it and styling it and just like making it happen, which is great. Uh, so gradually we started shooting. I mean, the stock photo stuff was cool, but we started shooting more fashion as well, which is her background. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was a, an accountant and model for her teenage years and um, turned that into the ability to really turn our business into something way cooler than I could have. So now what our world looks like is that she has her own social media stuff. Uh, you know, Instagram is a, a part of our, our work and uh, her blog. And then my social media stuff as well is about another third of it. And then the other third is freelance photo and video production for clients. Uh, it used to be more fashion. Now it's become, I'd call, I'd call it more lifestyle. Um, although, you know, some of it's still mixed into fashion, but a lot of magazines closed. So we do less of that fashion stuff mm -hmm. lately because uh, the business is shrinking. So instead it's like, um, I don't know, we got some big projects for uh, a lot of hotels lately. That's what a lot of the last year was, was traveling around to a bunch of Fairmont hotels, shooting their video. Um, yeah. I don't know, all over the place. How, how did I do? Was that fast enough? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I actually learned something. I just searched uh, your your wife and yeah, it's amazing. She, you and her are doing this together. She's got 116,000 followers on, on uh, Instagram and it's a, uh, you know, your feed is amazing. I'm sure you guys are, are working together. On yeah, everybody, everybody go follow Anya B. I mean, it's funny if people want to see my photography work, just go to her feed, which like, and I can't <laughs> yeah. say it's my photography work at all. It's absolutely like our work together, but I like yeah. the things I work on get posted way more to hers than mine. I don't know how to run an Instagram account. <laughs> I forget to post half the time. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because to be completely honest, I, I've watched your YouTube videos over the year, over the last two years, but I feel like I really connected to you on Twitter because uh, we're both Twitter boys. Like I'm always on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's underrated. Twitter's so underrated. Oh, it's so frustrating. I <laughs> I don't want to get into yeah, a Twitter rant, but people uh, that I know in real life are not on Twitter. Like almost none of my real life friends are. Very no. few, which is so weird to me. But I know it's. It, and but the thing about Twitter is it it really is like a water cooler of creators and uh, tech journalists and um, you know I love getting the news there and you know having conversations and you know this isn't an ad for Twitter by any means but um, <laughs> well, the challenge for regular people getting into Twitter is when you don't have a following it really is quiet over there uh, mm -hmm. I, I try to keep that in mind now that I do have. Uh, you know, a community that follows me and responds to things that I tweet. And if I say something, I can usually hear something back. But if you are not a public figure and you start posting to Twitter, it'll sure. be, it'll be very quiet. And that is not encouraging and doesn't feel great. I think compared to what it's like on Instagram or Snapchat or mm -hmm. Facebook, any of these other platforms, you start posting and all your friends and family are already there and they're talking back to you. On that Twitter, you kind of have to be putting yourself out there to get mm -hmm. something back. It requires a lot of work and there's not really any reward for it. <laughs> My friend yeah, uh, it, Drew... Eventually there is. Like <laughs> In the long run, there's a reward, but it's, yeah. it, it takes a while. 
That's true. I mean, my buddy Drew Photo, Drew Chanelli, he's he blew up this last the last year two years ago. He's over a hundred thousand on Twitter. Yeah. And how has he made his Twitter thing go? It blows my mind. He's done an amazing job. I know it. he he kind of he would never say this himself, but in a way, he kind of has. He was a, at least a part of the kind of photographer revolution on Twitter, which sounds silly, but he started posting viral photos and behind the scenes photos on Twitter. And it kind of, in a way, started a trend. I don't want to put it all on him, but he was a part of that for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, you, th- you know what? There's, nobody else is going to listen to this. Let's just give him all the credit. Give him all the credit. Drew Photo. Go f- give him yeah. a follow if you don't already. But that's so fascinating <laughs> yeah. because I, I'm, I'm the guy on Twitter who's followed you on Twitter. We've, we've had exchanges on Twitter. Um, you know, I've seen your YouTube content and your work, but um, I haven't. I haven't done a deep dive enough to, and I apologize for not, not following your wife because that is such a huge aspect of what you do and um, very interesting. And I would imagine that having a partner like that uh, is so interesting and fun and fulfilling in a lot of ways because you're able to bounce off of each other and uh, create together. That's, I mean, your model and your your talent is your wife. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a pretty unique working situation. I mean, there's other good things about it, like the way we can offer a service we can offer to clients that not a lot of other people can is that we can produce the whole thing beginning to end because she's also going to be the talent in it. So not only do we, you you know, we can, which means that like we're working often, we're working with relatively smaller clients. Well, not, okay. I don't want to undersell us. The the best jobs for us though are like mid sized clients where we can take the whole budget and it ends up all coming to us because we don't need to outsource a lot of other talent. We don't need to go hire models. We don't need to hire hair and makeup. We don't need to hire a stylist. Uh, we don't need to hire a producer. We don't need to hire a photographer or a Photoshop post person. Yeah. We the two of us can do the whole thing. Like we'll hire a, a couple assistants, um, but that typically can we can get whole jobs done like that and. Um, you know, I think that's been really good for our business. I can't, I'm so single-minded. It's very hard for me to do or focus on anything other than just the one or two. I guess you've got three things. Like you said, it's only three. It's not like you're doing 20. Yeah. Well, I focus poorly. That's the, that's the trick is that I just do a bad job of focusing and I let uh, everything <laughs> drop. I, I'm just dropping balls left, yeah. right, and center. That's, that's the secret. It's funny though. I think a lot of people will look at the stuff that we post and they're like, wow, you're, you're like, you're putting out a lot of stuff. Like we, we hear that often. It's like, oh yeah, you're, you guys are just like always posting. And when I look at the actual amount, I'm like, well, we're, we're not that much, but you, uh, from an outside perspective, you don't remember the gaps in between. I think it's just that like, we've been consistent, like we're consistent on a whole bunch of platforms and that keeps us in everybody's mind. A big thing that I'm an advocate for, uh, you know, a, a concept I've been pushing lately is the idea of a full stack creator, which is, a, that's something I'm stealing from the development community. It's totally a common thing to call yourself as a programmer. If you are able to do the foundational layer of, of code that the uh, servers run on, and then you can also do the display code that makes the website visible to the public and everything in between, you're, you control the whole stack. 
And I just felt like this is kind of a missing word from the creative community, but is very much a thing. And it's it's something that uh, you, you do. I think a lot of YouTubers end up falling into this, even without realizing it. And it means that you can do audio, video, photo, design, writing, speaking, communicating. There's just all these skills that have become so insanely powerful and I think are about to become even more important. I mean, I can tell you why in a minute, but um, to be able to handle all of these really different skills in in one person is uh, or, or puts you in a very unique position. And there's downsides. You don't necessarily master each one as much, but by being able to do them all, you can accomplish a lot without having without having to build a bigger team, uh, you know. And I, I'm I'm sure you could relate to some of this where some of your successes come from too. Is you can you can do a lot of different stuff and it adds up to really cool content. This isn't a podcast about me, but I was I was thinking before we did this interview, I was like, I bet he's gonna flip it on me because he's an interviewer. So I'm I'm an interviewer <laughs> yeah, interviewing an interviewer. So and I interviewed Sarah Dietschy a couple weeks ago and she did that too. She would like, So what do you think about blah blah blah? And I'm like, Sarah, this is about you. I'm not here to talk about myself. <laughs> Um, but if I must indulge, uh, <laughs> you must, <laughs> because as a, as a performer, of course, um, I'm desperate for <laughs> attention. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I was a magician for six years. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. That. And I actually met Peter McKinnon about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago at magic live, uh, in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so I think there's something about being a magician. There's actually a surprising amount of YouTubers that used to be magicians. Um, I think you can't underrate that, that skill set. It's, um, it's so much right now. Like if you, for me, okay, where it came from for me, if we are supposed to tie this into photography a little bit, um, is shooting street style. So th this was something uh, Anya and I would do. We'd go to Fashion Week, uh, both New York Fashion Week and Toronto Fashion Week in London a couple times. And um, we would just shoot the people that are looking cool and then send the photos to magazines. And that requires walking up to strangers and saying, hey, do you mind if I take your photo and making them feel comfortable enough with it? And often they don't, but often they do as well. And, and I hate that a lot. I really do not it doesn't feel good to me. Yeah. Like it's a bad feeling. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why, like there's like this, this crazy anxiety that builds up as I am about to do it, but forcing myself to do it is really, really useful. And, um, you know, I think that a, a lot of people now, when I think about, you know, teenagers, I know that are living on Snapchat and mostly texting each other and have a lot of anxiety about making phone calls. I think that, it's not just teenagers, millennials too. Like we are uncomfortable with the idea of, of picking up the phone, letting it ring and then talking to somebody. Or when your phone starts ringing, it's like, you know, somebody's assaulting you and, and you're going to have to you know, put some <laughs> pants on just to answer it. Um, but facing that nervousness is what will really put you ahead of all the other people that are, that stay afraid to do it. And yeah, there's so many photographers I've talked to that are like, a huge block for them is the anxiety of finding people to shoot, talking to people to work with. Even working photographers, I see struggle with this sometimes when they even have hired the models. The models are there to work and they don't communicate with them much. Um, I've heard a lot of models complain about this too. Like, tell me what to do. Tell me what you need from me. Like, what are you hoping for? And if you are too afraid to just express yourself and assert your opinion, people will not 
be waiting to hear what you have to say, you know, like you have to, yeah. you have to put yourself out there. And I, I think it's, it's going to be even harder after all this time of isolation for, for people to feel comfortable doing that. The biggest lesson for me in my career was I got an opportunity to, to, to uh, intern at a, a production company in Nashville. I, and I was on set with uh, One Republic, the band, and he was directing a music video. And I was just an intern that was there uh, shooting behind the scenes. And I saw the director constantly give positive feedback just over and over to the crew and to the talent. And he'd say, oh, yes, that's great. Yes, yes, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, let's go. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was a little overwhelming. And I talked to him about it, and he's like, I set the tone for the entire set, and I have to be positive. I ha Even if somebody is really doing a terrible job, you want to make it like an or – you want to make it like a sandwich of like – positivity constructive criticism and then sandwich out with more positivity yeah the, the more i've worked with directors or photographers that are better than me that's such a common trait i see it all the time people that are at the top of their game that are working at a really high level they're just ridiculously nice and sometimes it's super fake like sometimes you can tell like well they're not you know they don't really like me they're just pretending to be nice to me <laughs> But it's effective and it doesn't really matter. It get, like it still it's a tool. brings up the mood of everybody on set. Yeah, exactly. And like it gets things done. It moves things, it propels things forward. And I struggle with it. I'm not I'm not giving myself credit here. Like I can easily be low energy and like, you know, I have a hard time yeah, really pumping people up, but it's an important it's a crazy important skill. It's so useful if you're good at it. And yeah, like I say, the best people are really good at it. And it can be way more important than having any technical skill, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot, especially high level sets, like as things get bigger, you aren't necessarily holding your camera or setting up the lights or anything. You're just talking to people and making them feel whatever they're supposed to feel mm -hmm. for the shoot to go well. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's talk YouTube for a second. Um, that's how I discovered you first. Um, I'm doing, I'm kind of just scrolling through your, your channel and going all the way down to the bottom. Uh, you have videos that are 11 years old. That's amazing, by the way. Um, I love that you have them up yeah, too. You haven't that, unlisted them weird. or privatized them. <laughs> well, I, um, it was funny. I was listening to your episode with Caleb, which, um, I, I mean, I super remember Caleb from that same era. I think we messaged each other too. Like we, we exchanged some kind of chat at that point, but like didn't know who each other were and communities weren't formed at all. Cause back then like YouTube wasn't a unified thing. Like being a YouTuber no. was not an idea. So no. when I was uploading videos, they were going everywhere. Like I'd upload the same thing to YouTube and Vimeo and daily motion. Oh my gosh. Like daily motion. And, I haven't and, heard and that it word like a in video years. podcast to iTunes. Uh, I was just uh -huh. going through this the other day. Yeah, I, I had the same conversation actually on my podcast the other day with um, I Justine because she was saying, uh, or the one yeah. that I remember was Tube Mogul. It was this one website you'd upload the video there, and then it would spread it out to all the video sites. <laughs> so I I knew at the time I'm like, yes, this is important to be able to create a community by being a voice in whatever you're interested in. And then I just totally didn't pursue it. So yeah, I've got videos that are like 11 years old, and this long dead space where I stopped uploading and I absolutely regret that. That was a, I, that, that was the time to be uploading and I didn't. So, um, you know, lost, lost some momentum there, but. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was the same. I just thought of YouTube as a hosting platform. It's like, oh uh, mm -hmm. yeah, this is where I'm going to host a video and I can share it in an email or whatever. But, um, Vimeo was where it was at 
10 years ago i was oh yeah totally i was totally into that community with philip bloom and let you know like you said in the caleb pike interview we talk, we kind of talk about that i think there was actually a better what we have now on youtube did exist on vimeo in a way it was mm-hmm. a much smaller scale but people were actually responding in the comments uh people were regularly uploading to vimeo and it, it did feel similar to what we have now uh, it was again way smaller niche of a, a market, but still. Um, but there's a thing that happened on Vimeo that I really miss now on YouTube, where you could let me describe this the right way. So you'd find videos that are have very little purpose, and all it is is some technical demo about a camera. So it's like high ISO yeah. test of the seven D, and that's all it is is like three minutes of footage from this camera. Yeah of nothing but you don't care what they're shooting anyway you just want to see what this camera looks like and there's no narrator there's yep. some terrible stock music and it was incredibly useful it still is i mean that still happens on there whereas if you're going to do it on youtube like you can't really do that I, there's a bit of it but the expectation is that you're going to be a personality as well and you're going to demonstrate something and have an intro yeah. and an outro but it is so helpful sometimes to just see a sample from a product and i miss that you're giving me an idea. I I feel like I should do that still and yeah, just do it. send people I over. Would watch it. <laughs> be like, and it'd be, be quick like, to hey, do. here here's here's my YouTube video, everybody. Here's my thoughts on this camera. By the way, I've uploaded 30 minutes of test reviews or test footage on Vimeo. There's no narrative, there's nothing on it, but it's there. You know? I think it's very useful. I mean, that's still something I appreciate about Philip's reviews now. Yes. He still really lets them breathe with sample footage, which mm. even I don't in mind very much. Like I'm really I'm a lot tighter with my edits. And I feel like, you know, if there's just silence or music without speech for very long, it starts to drag. And then it, you know, the the playtime, if you if people start seeing more than a 10 minute video, they're going to click that much less because they don't want to invest the time into it. But when I watch his videos, I really appreciate that there's room for whatever there needs to be in it because he's not concerned about yeah. bigger numbers. Like he's he's not worried about hitting a wide community. He wants filmmakers mm-hmm. to get the most that they can out of his videos. And I, I've always really appreciated that. Yeah. I respect that. He's, he really hasn't changed even through, I mean, he has, he, he's definitely started to become a YouTuber, if you will, but I know he would <laughs> mostly, reject mostly that. cat videos now. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, so, but four years ago, three years ago, you started getting much more regular, um, doing camera reviews, but then something happened. Um, let's see. It was, Two years ago, there was a video titled "iPhone 8: A Photographer's Review," and your your view count on all the videos prior to that have have grown. You did an AirPods review that's got eight hundred thousand views. You've got a five wow, D comparison. That. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that yeah, might have that, grown over time, but that was like such a slow grow. That AirPods video was, you know, when it came out, it was like twenty thousand, and wow. it just never stopped. Yeah. So it never got like it's never spiked, but it just keeps getting them, which is interesting. It's like that for me with the stupid Canon M50. I can't escape that <laughs> camera. Um, but was am I right in assuming that the iPhone 8 video was a big hit for you at the time, or is that just something oh, that yeah, has grown yeah, totally. over time? That was that was like a massive spike uh, okay. that was like visible from space on my um, talk analytics. about. Talk about spikes and the pros and cons of it, because I definitely have experienced a couple of spikes, and I've 
experienced the the negative sides of it in terms of uh you know youtube algorithm and all that kind of stuff but um what happened during that time and you know two years ago it looked like you got very serious and more consistent you know what what caused this is you know yeah and you decided to be a youtuber in general i have that is that's kind of it was just deciding to you know i had my old youtube channel i knew it was a good idea and then finally i was like you know what i'm just gonna post something i'm gonna make it easy not work too hard on it so i did a couple camera reviews i think before the iphone 8 i also had done the 5d mark 4 review that i was very quick very simple but it still got a respectable amount of views i don't know the number off the top of my head but you know dozens of thousands and i was pretty happy about that i'm like that feels good here i'm looking oh three it's it's up to 350 that was a slow grower as well but um that's a lot of views you know and i didn't put much time into it and so that's when i was like you know what it's time for me to double down on this and start start working at it again and so i did and uh yeah i mean it kind of kind of paid off um in terms of the spiky thing though i definitely have thoughts on that there is a big difference between being a youtuber that gets the same a very predictable amount of views and somebody that gets the big spikes it there's good things about the spikes for sure i mean it um it it makes my overall numbers bigger like my number of subscribers are because of those high viewer uh videos the the videos the biggest views but it also gives me a lot less views per video that I release. It's a lot more, a lot less predictable that anything I put out will reach any specific threshold. Um, whereas people that have just like really gradually developed a community that the, all of the people following them are there for the person, not because of one video that, uh, you know, I don't know, was about the topic they were interested in. Um, it, it it develops a more loyalty and more something like a podcast. That's what I like more about my podcast than about my YouTube channel is that I get basically the exact same number of people there every single week and they know who I am. You know, they're, they're there because they know what I'm going to talk about and I don't have to like pretend to be more energetic than I am or whatever. Um, whereas, yeah, on YouTube, it, it's super unpredictable. And, you know, that ties into sponsors as well. Like sponsors want to have some knowledge about what's going to happen in the next video. And I have to be, be aware of that, that it's like, you know what, this might be big, but maybe it won't be. Like, I, it's hard for me to tell because I have no control of which video is going to pop. I'm interrupting this podcast briefly to tell you guys about the brand new DJI Mavic Air 2 Cinema Series filters from Polar Pro. If you aren't aware, the newest drone from DJI just came out. It's called the Mavic Air 2. It's the second generation of the more affordable, smaller, lightweight drone from DJI. The thing that makes the Mavic Air 2 stand out against the lineup of other drones from DJI is the fact that the size of the drone itself is so compact and easy to travel with, but the quality and performance of the camera built into it is still high enough to be considered a professional camera. But like all drones with built-in cameras, there's one thing that you really need to get the most cinematic shots possible, and that is a neutral density filter. Well, you're in luck because Polar Pro has just announced the brand new Cinema Series filters for the Mavic Air 2. There's two packages that you can choose from, the Vivid Collection and the V&D Filter. First, let me tell you about the Vivid Collection for the Mavic Air 2. The kit includes ND8, ND16, and ND32, all with polarization filters built into them. Those three filters strengths are really going to handle most situations that you're going to face with your drone. You want to make sure that your shutter speed is set double to what your frame rate is. 
So for example, if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, you want your shutter speed to be around 1 48th of a second. And because the drone doesn't have the ability to adjust your aperture, once you set your shutters down to 1 50th of a second, even at the lowest ISO settings, the image is gonna be completely blown out and overexposed. That's why when you're using a drone, you have to have an ND filter to keep your shutter speed at the right setting when you're shooting outdoors. Now the thing that makes the Vivid Collection from Polar Pro so great is the addition of the polarization filter attached to the ND itself. Adding a polarizer to your camera can completely change its capabilities by removing reflections, cutting glare, and increasing color saturation. Now the other filter that we're selling is the VND filter, which is very similar to the very popular Peter McKinnon VND that we sell as well. You can buy the VND in either a two to five stop VND or a combo set that comes with a two to five and a six to nine stop VND system. This is gonna be the most versatile setup that you can get. Basically with only two filters, you're able to cover between two to nine stops of ND filtering with everything in between. It's really amazing what you can do with these filters. All of these filter sets are on our website and for a limited time during this special launch, you can save $10 off all Mavic Air 2 filter sets. So if you just put a pre-order down for the Mavic Air 2 or you're considering getting the Mavic Air 2, now's the time to jump on getting your full cinema setup by buying the Mavic Air 2 filters from Polar Pro. So again, go to polarpro.com and check this out. The new filter setup for the Mavic Air 2, $10 off only now, go check it out. Now, let's go back to my conversation. So you started a YouTube channel, at what point did you do the podcast? And what made you decide to do that? Well, so going back to when I was saying that I used to post everything everywhere uh, at first, so I had a podcast at the same time as I started my YouTube channel, which was, you know, whatever, 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And some of those were cross posts. So sometimes I do a video podcast episode and those are now also YouTube videos. And then I would do audio only episodes. All this stuff was way less defined back then. Like, you know, there's no rules. Um, and that podcast just disappeared because I stopped paying for hosting. Uh, then I had another podcast in between, and now I have the current iteration. So it's been also a little bit like on and off. I've had I've had three shows over the, the past decade, and the current one's been going for about two. But uh, the current one's the most like open. It's just called the Stallman Podcast because I want to talk about whatever I want to talk about. I mean, you know, now it's coronavirus uh, weekly or something. So, uh, but in general is that I want to be able to invite on different creators that I am interested in, talk about everything from photography to filmmaking to just films, uh, Star Wars, uh, you know. So, but for me, podcasts are my favorite entertainment because of everything I was talking about earlier, where you can listen to them while you do other things. You don't have to focus all your attention. So I don't watch that many YouTube videos in, in reality, just, you know, maybe like one or two a day, sometimes none a day. Um, whereas I will listen to, you know, to one or two or three or four podcasts a day. And what, what are you finding with your podcast in terms of audience growth i mean do you do you make money with it are you doing brand deals on the podcast and stuff like that um similar to youtube and what's the i haven't really talked to other than sarah i haven't really talked to a quote podcaster is it a different world over there in terms of because uh, this podcast is is paid for and hosted by polar pro so we're not kind of 
doing the yeah different the, format the quote podcaster thing and working with brands but which i think is super smart like hey polar pro guys this is exactly the right idea i i think every brand should be doing this it's it's really the the right thing to do um i'm surprised more aren't um and what actually yeah no i i've directly pitched uh i guess i'll leave it unnamed unnamed company that i've worked for in the past being like you guys should start a podcast and i'm going to host it for you and it didn't happen but that's okay i got my own show instead and uh <laughs> the way that the way that it works is yeah i mean i don't have a sponsor every single week but um when I do, I, I appreciate them. And I honestly think that it can be a lot more effective than YouTube. And I think that budgets are allocated based on what brands are already comfortable with. So I think, you know, a, a lot of brands are like, we have a pool of this much money for Instagram and we have this much money for YouTube. We didn't make a pool for podcasting. So the, the challenge isn't necessarily like how, how, much, how effective will it be? How much will the audience connect with it? Uh, how likely are they to go buy the product? A lot of it is whatever they are comfortable buying already. So often the, the, the sponsor spots I get are companies that are already very comfortable with podcasting. Um, and it, it's harder to bring in YouTube, traditionally YouTube-only brands, to bring them over to the podcast. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the growth is much more slow and steady, more of that relationship building that I was talking about earlier that, uh, you know, I, I would love to have on YouTube, but it's been a lot more effective on the podcast and the people that are there come back every week and, uh, will listen to, you know, a, a much longer conversation, which I think is way more interesting. I mean, honestly, you don't get to know somebody very well in 10 minutes. And even, uh, especially when it comes to say gear reviews, it's very challenging to really learn something about a product, especially something as complicated as a camera in 10 minutes. And when you watch reviews, it, 10 minutes can feel long, but when you're creating those videos, I don't know, I don't know, maybe you can relate. It feels like no time at all. I'm like, I have so much to say and I have to cut almost all of it out and just, you know, give you the, the headlines. You're stalling everywhere. How did you do that? Did you, did you have to buy your handle and everything from other people oh, or was no, it I'm, available? I'm just old. <laughs> so you, you just yeah, create no, an I, account I, as soon as Twitter open, you create an account as soon as Instagram's open. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My Twitter account's like 11 years old. My YouTube account. Is, oh, I so YouTube. I had to fight back. Um, even though it was, you know, 11 years ago or whatever, Stallman was taken and I got Tyler Stallman. And then recently I, I basically just, uh, you know, I, I had everything else. I had Instagram and I had Twitter and I wrote to YouTube and said like, look, I've got this everywhere else. I've got Stallman.com. Like this is my brand. And the person that has it currently hasn't uploaded anything in six years. So can I have it? And, um, through enough petitioning, they, uh, they did get it to me, which was, thank you very much, YouTube. Um, so, but the others I had at the beginning. Cool. Yeah, you're Stallman everywhere. I love that. You should have a shirt that says Stallman everywhere instead of Matt Black everywhere. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a good one. I still need to find out what my merch is going to be, so maybe I'll run with that. There you go. <laughs> so we, we did do a, a little AMA on Twitter and uh, Instagram. You retweeted it. Thank you. Um, oh, I should have looked at the, the questions ahead of time so I was prepared. Well, one of them um, is from Jordan Drake, a fellow uh, Canadian. He says... Uh, Who's his favorite Calgary YouTuber? It's time he chose. 
Well, I'm going to go with the answer that I responded to him. Uh, and I'm going to say that The Rock counts as a YouTuber and a Calgarian, which is <laughs> barely true in both cases. I didn't know But that. I just like it as an answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, he played for our football team for some formative years okay. before wrestling. But he's and, not um, from Calgary, is he? he? Well, don't spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, Calgary, it's all he said, he just had the two words in it. But we've got I mean, okay, we also have some great uh homegrown talent that is still in Calgary, uh, you know, Jordan and Chris from the camera store previously that are now at DP Review. Uh and then Jordan's wife is also uh now running the camera store TV channel, Evelyn. And what what else is out there? I mean, we've got Irene uh, and many others. I'm not going to try to if I keep trying to name everybody, I'm going to forget some. So I'm going to stop while I'm ahead and, and just say we've got a surprising amount of of great YouTubers for a, or a small country that we live in. Have you uh, had interactions with Jordan and uh, Chris? Uh, yeah, mostly uh, fist fights. Um, yeah, no, we because we go back like I know, especially Jordan, I know from way before either of us were YouTubing. Oh, cool. Yeah, because the camera store has been my camera store forever. That's I learned a lot just by talking to guys there before I was a photographer. Oh, wow, that's interesting. And yeah, and then Jordan starting. I mean, some of the, like I'm in one of the first camera store TV videos uh, talking about the Fuji XT1 or Fuji X100. Wait, what's the first one called? Yeah. Just the X100, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The first X100. Um, and that was when we were both just starting. So if you want to go see before oh anybody gosh. had beards, uh, uh, go watch that. Um, and then, yeah, th- so that's the time where like I was doing it early and so were they. And then they stuck to it and I didn't. So. Nine years ago, 173,000 views, Fuji X100 hands-on field test with Tyler Stallman. There you are with no beard, clean shaven. Yeah, that was a big video back then. Oh, man, that camera was so exciting back then. Wow, that was was a huge deal. That was kind of during the, you know, there was kind of this resurgence of uh, retro analog stuff. The Lomography cameras were big back then, and it was kind of like, man, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a digital camera that has a nice look to it all these actually cameras, looked good all these cameras you know look what awful. i was talking about with this this with the new fuji uh wait what's the latest one called xt4 the, or the xt4 X, or the x100 uh whatever i honestly am bad at fuji's names i don't know why i always get the order of the letters wrong but i really love what they're doing lately even though i, do, I don't really shoot with any currently yeah. we have the xt uh or x100t I don't yeah. even remember which one we have. And I don't use it. But I love the direction they're going. And, oh, yeah, here's the thing. It's about them being, like, retro design. I feel like Fuji brought back good camera design. Like, cameras just are ugly right now. The be- My favorite yeah. cameras, the cameras I shoot on every other, every single day, look terrible. They look like yeah. Nike shoes. Like, they look <laughs> like they're trying to be the future that we never really wanted. They look like... SUVs like bubble cars like sure. <laughs> there's nothing beautiful about it and yeah. Fuji was like you know what there was a time where cars and, and cameras were well designed and look nice and let's keep doing that um, and I, honestly I hope the same thing happens with cars someday because cars look awful now <laughs> they all look like uh, you know big eggs I know I'd, and, I'm not a huge um, fan of like even the Teslas I'm like yes I love the technology in them but it just looks like a bubble like car that yeah. every it's other car so looks boring. like 
that's why I put my pre-order ca- in for a Cybertruck. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, at whether or not you like the, the Cybertruck aesthetic, yeah. yeah, at least it says something. And that's been an issue with cameras. I mean, I just think, like, visually, design-wise, they got really boring. And it's not, it doesn't make them better. Like, I think mm-hmm. Fujis are still ergonomically great. They're they're nice to work with. Yeah. Um, ca- cameras can look good and work well, too. I also, Absolutely. like, what's the... Okay, I'm gonna get another name wrong. What's the more recent uh, Hasselblad? The X X one D two, yeah. The one D two, yes. Uh, yeah, I didn't try the two, but X one D round one. I I just loved using it physically, like having it in your hands. Yes, it feels is great. such a delight, and that counts for a lot. Like that doesn't. It is not meaningless to have a physical device. This is the whole point of a camera is that it's a physical thing that you use. It's a tool. It's a handheld tool. Why not enjoy the the process of using it? You know? Absolutely. I think it's so underlooked and it it might be a high level thing to think about because sometimes if you're just starting out, it's like, I just need something with good depth of field that can change lenses on it. And a Leica costs $10,000. So I'm not going to buy a Leica, but there is, like you said, I mean, why can't the the lower end also get this treatment as well? And we are starting to see it a little bit. Fujifilm has some cheaper offerings. Canon has started to do dual tone uh, silver and black on like the G7X point and shoot cameras and stuff. So I, I want more of that. Give me give me more options. I always give me different colors, different options. That's these These are devices that now that we all have mobile phones that have great cameras in them, we're intentionally deciding to walk around with a with a, a real camera. So absolutely, make it a piece of art. Make it make it jewelry that makes me want to carry it and take it around. That's what's so great about the X100 series is that it's all the modern tech inside a point and shoot camera that looks beautiful. It's a piece of jewelry. And um, normal people, if <laughs> I hate saying the word normal people, muggles, if you will, um, <laughs> they they love it. I mean, they're like, wow, what is that camera? That looks like a film camera. Is that a film camera? You know, that's usually what people ask. Um, it's they're so it kind of takes people's guard down too. as a photographer, especially a street photographer. That's why a lot of street photographers love those oh, cameras. Yeah, 100%. Um, if you're on the street taking pictures on a Leica or X100, I would assume that's what your video was because you mentioned that you did street photography. Um, those types of cameras are the best because it, it takes the, it removes that barrier of uh, you're a photographer or a paparazzi, you know? You know, actually part of the reason I chose the microphone that, I, that I'm speaking into right now rather than the one that you're speaking into, which I believe is a SM7B, right? <laughs> Um, how can you is, tell is okay so honestly the the sure is the right mic for a lot of people like it is I, I think it's not just the default podcasting mic i'm going back to your caleb conversation you guys are, yeah, yeah. are still in my head so that that's the mic that everybody's using and i think it's not only because they see top podcasters use it like joe rogan and h3 but it's a great versatile mic like the fact that the shock mount is built into a relatively small body and so is the windscreen so you don't need to add anything else to it yeah you have a complete package inside of a relatively small body and it sounds really good Uh, whereas i'm using the heil uh, pr40 and you need to add everything to it so it's just a microphone i have to add a windscreen in front of it i have to add a big you know space this shock mount that's suspending it with elastics. Um, it's so much bulkier and bigger to get it working to the same level as the Shure. Yeah. But a big factor is I like that it 
doesn't look like a generic tube. <laughs> like the, the way yeah. that the shirt looks like <laughs> kind of bothers me. It's so uninteresting where I love the look of, of microphones. Like microphones are such a beautiful oh, yeah. object mm -hmm. to me. Uh, I love audio gear in general, just design wise. Like I want, I want all the audio gear, whether I need it or not, because it just looks so good. <laughs> and so I, it's, it's hard for me to think about buying a very plain looking microphone, even though it's, you know, a, a really good choice. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of people don't realize that the SM7B has been around for decades. It was a, a staple in uh, music production, and that's that's actually what it's made for, and it's tuned for uh, for vocals. Um, that's why the preamps, you know, that you have to boost it like crazy because it's you're it's used to having a rock and roll singer like screaming into it. Yeah, it does say something to the design though that it's it's that old and it does still look. Contemporary. I mean, you would never just at a glance, you'd never guess that it was released forty years ago or whatever it was. Star Wars. Are you a big Star Wars fan? Um, yeah. I mean, so I like to. Th I think about Star Wars a lot, and it's not that I am the biggest Star Wars fan. Like, I, I'm not going to be the one to rattle off all the trivia in the world. Yeah. But I just really enjoy. I almost enjoy like the real world stuff of Star Wars more than even the fantasy world of it. Yeah. The effect that it had on filmmaking, the stories from the originals being made, the the just like the yeah. the amount of creativity that's gone into it and even in the newer ones that I think a lot of people kind of kind of crap on. There's such amazing craftsmanship going on there. There are like they are Okay, if if you're a photographer and you're listening to this and you hate the new Star Wars, you can't tell me they're not incredibly beautiful. There are yeah. so many frames that if you just freeze them, you're like, this is it's just such a masterpiece. The the talent mm. that went into this is at such a high level. And that doesn't necessarily forgive the stories for not always holding together, which yeah. can be frustrating. But there's there's just there's they're very rich. There's a lot to dig into, uh, both in the in the old ones and the new ones. So yeah, it's not know, it's a deep well that I keep going back to. And it's not a fair. Well, I, the reason I bring it up is because episode seventy one, which came out in December thirtieth for your podcast, uh, you you talk about the rise mm. of Star Skywalker, um, and I know, like you said, you're a fan of it, but. Um, it's unfair to compare it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Marvel was created in a time where Star Wars already existed, and they had that to point to and totally. say, "Hey, this, yeah. <laughs> let's let's do this, and look at this. Star Wars worked, and uh, you know, and then obviously now Disney owns both, but um, you know, you can't deny the fact that these are masterpiece, uh, c cinematic masterpieces. But it is a, a little disappointing that." <sighs> I don't want to say disappointing because I'm an adult now. I think if I were <laughs> 12 or 13 years old, when I really was at the peak Star Wars fandom for me, when my dad sat me down and said, son, watch this. <laughs> and well, were you young when the like episode one, two, three came out? I'm, were you in the right age group? Cause you're, yeah. you're a little younger than me. I think I'm 29. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, so that was like, that I remember it hard for you. I imagine. Right. Yes. The episode three, um, the the final of the the prequels was released my senior year of high school so yeah throughout my middle school high school years i watched those films come out along with lord of the rings which 
also too was a huge huge holds up a little bit better i mean actually i could i could say maybe even more good thing there is so much packed into those three lord of the rings films but um i need to go back to them soon i haven't maybe i should do a podcast about them yes let's Um, do it let's watch them together okay (laughs) the three hour podcast (laughs) (laughs) well yeah per Per uh, movie, it would be three I'm, hours yeah, of exactly. podcasting. So nine hours of podcasting. That's like when the third Lord of the Rings came out, I went to a marathon showing of it where I got to watch. We watched them back to back in the theater, nine hours wow. in one theater seat. It was great. Um, oh, yeah. One recommendation on Star Wars. The, a, a great example of what makes it interesting to me, and if anybody else wants to pursue it, is uh, an example of why it's interesting. There's a book called The Secret History of Star Wars. And it kind of breaks down the, – the most interesting elements of it to me is that it breaks down why it's completely clear, looking back on the films that exist, that this was not imagined to be not only – not just a trilogy, but it was a single film. Star Wars was meant to be one film where Darth Vader was not anyone's father. He was kind of a, a, a henchman and a side Sp- character. Spoiler and alert. all of this <laughs> – was well i mean i didn't say whose father but i mean all of this was added on after the success of the first film and then it was renamed to be a new hope and the mythology of it being in george the whole narrative being in george lucas's head is completely constructed afterwards but it doesn't take away from the the genius of having created this world but uh i just find that whole story really interesting Versus uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that from the beginning with John Favreau had some sort, it of course wasn't completely fleshed out, but it did have a direction of some sort. Uh, and I think that's a good, right. th- that shows through in a, in a positive way. I think Star Wars is weaker for having added all that stuff later. I mean, the, f- yeah. the episode one, or sorry, episode uh, four, sorry, A New Hope, a new, would a have new been, hope, a, yeah. it would have, it would have tied in as a, as a stronger piece of narrative if it was setting up Vader to be Luke's father at all, which it does not. It is not presenting mm. that idea anywhere, um, and and a lot of other things are just not not, not in it. I yeah. mean, it's not you know the the whole Luke and Leia's relationship is a different. Rela- everything was different as they made that movie, and then they had to retcon it later, um, and the series is weaker for it and i think that was a big advantage of of marvel's being able to know where it's going a few years from now um but uh, that's also some of the fun of those older films is there was no idea of there being a cinematic universe so it it was so much scrappier and they're you know just getting it done and i i I really like that too especially that it all came out of one crazy guy's mind and bank account (laughs) yeah and at the time i mean gosh i I don't want to be my dad's age, but I do I do have a little jealousy of the fact that he was able to sit in those theaters as those films were coming out. He remembers standing in line to see the original Star Wars, you know, when it came out in the 70s. And um, there's a really great video I would encourage you guys to look up on YouTube that somebody found um, footage of in the theater in the 70s or I guess the 80s. I don't remember when uh, Empire came out, but... Um, of of the reaction of a movie theater when the, when Darth Vader unveils who he's the father of, I think right. that's a really great moment in cinematic history. And with uh, with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, which is another amazing um, cinematic uh, tri- uh, trio of movies, and I'm only going to mm-hmm. call it a trio, um, <laughs> is like 
the 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 tone of films i mean we're getting to into film history now but the tones of films changed um that first indiana jones movie boom you're straight into the action and my dad told me he remembers vividly seeing that indiana the first um indiana jones film and being like i've never seen a movie that just jumps into the plot instantly and you're chasing you know you're you're in a temple and you're running away from it this is thing intense. and uh you, you don't even think twice about it now because any movie you watch they hook you in within the first 10 minutes um but that was that's never been done before if you look at older films um it's a much slower burn into the in the the, the plot so anyways we're going way off topic but that's what podcasts well, but, are all okay, about but dave is an avid twitterer um do you follow todd vaziri let me see i don't know uh, it doesn't ring okay, any bells. My, Todd Vaziri is a must follow for anybody listening. If you've listened this far, if you've put up with this much Star Wars and Indiana Jones talk, yes, you got to follow Todd Vaziri. He's the he's yeah he's the VFX supervisor for Star Wars for the, like the the recent films, and he mm. is he just uses Twitter right. He's a great Twitter <laughs> user, and and he seems to rewatch Indiana Jones like once a week because <laughs> he's constantly <laughs> posting details. From Raiders of the Lost Ark, not from, uh, I mean, most of them are from that one movie, um, but just like finding the most interesting details about every mm. film you've ever loved, coming from the perspective of one of the key people involved in making some of the best films that are coming out right now. So anybody yeah. that likes movies, you really, really should be following him. I think just to, yeah, definitely. And you're right. He does use Twitter, right? Because he doesn't use periods or capitalization, uh, which is a key ingredient <laughs> in uh, Twitter. Oh, I've no, I'm the recently. opposite. You, were, I saw this conversation. I disagree. I'm a punctuator. <laughs> I punctuate, as but as I, I don't capitalize. fit them into my word count. I turned off oh, auto no. caps See, uh, for sure. I actually have a different priority. Like I prioritize the capitalization over punctuation. But oh, okay. I'm again, I'm an old man. So we have one more question that I'll ask and then we'll wrap this up from uh, Instagram. Okay. So this is from at Gatsy PM. Would he replace his MacBook with the iPad pro? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Have you, have you considered the iPad OS lifestyle? I mean, you're, you're in there with all the other tech influencers, you know, talking about the magic keyboards and and using ipad os as a you know as a creator and you, you kind of have to do it for your job but would you actually consider it your your mobile computer instead of a, a macbook so i've definitely given it consideration because it's very appealing and i even had mike hurley on on my show to basically sell me on it i'm like okay mike tell me how you run a podcasting company off an ipad like this is crazy to me I can't imagine it. And we talked about it for a while and then nothing changed in my behavior. And I just, I, I can't, I can't get a lot done on an iPad. I mean, I love the hardware. It is so nice. It is such a pleasure to use. The pencil is so well designed. This new keyboard is incredible. It feels wonderful to work with. And the implementation of the new trackpad sport is great. Like it's, there is a lot of good stuff to say about iPads. I still can't find a key place for them in my daily life. Um, I am an old school Mac guy, like, you know, going back to high school and I love Mac OS a lot. Like I, it, I, I think th th a common question that I really enjoy is like, would you rather keep your iPhone or your Mac? Like what is the more important thing to you? And for me, it's my Mac. That's how I get the most interesting stuff I do done. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for iPads. I am often jealous of people that could do all their work off of it. I mean, if you're just a writer, if your primary job is writing, I, I might use an iPad way more. Um, but when you're managing a lot of large media, that then it's challenging. Yeah, and our you know our mutual friend Drew Photo, he he does everything on an iPad, and he, the way that he works in Affinity uh, Photo on his his iPad Pro is amazing to watch. He does live streams often on Twitter, um, just kind of seeing him work, and I think it's so fascinating. And I think we'll continue to see that in the photography community as these iPads continue to get better and better. I mean, the ARM processor and, and what Apple's done with their silicon is insane. And yeah, that is really appealing. Actually, if you can, if you're not already trained in Photoshop, go learn affinity. Like it is a, it'd be really powerful to have your habits built there. And that's, that's a challenge for me in, in switching is, is relearning a lot of muscle memory, but Affinity Photo is really compelling. I think if you were comfortable with it on an iPad, you could do incredible things that I'm missing out on on my Mac. And once ARM comes around, um, it's going to be a lot faster. I already felt this doing my Mac Pro tests. All the Adobe stuff is so unimpressive. It's really frustrating, actually, when you have you know 16 cores and you know t- terabytes of RAM and, and amazing graphics cards. And Photoshop is still dragging and Lightroom won't respond like, oh, it's gross. Meanwhile, anything that's metal optimized like Affinity is going to totally scream on that hardware. And once things switch to ARM, it's going to be a lot more pronounced. Well, to kind of close this thing out, uh, there's a lot of people listening who who may really resonate with a lot of the, the interests and the things that you're doing. And they might be thinking to themselves, man, I would love to be doing what Tyler's doing. I'd love to, you know, maybe they even um, can relate to how you felt those, you know, seven years ago when you weren't uploading, but you knew in the back of your mind that you should be. What what do you have to say for those types of people? This is kind of our our closing statement, if you will, uh, to the audience. I think a lot of people get into creating stuff online for some of the wrong reasons. It can be really exciting to uh you know see the lifestyle of the Casey Neistats of the world and PewDiePie's and uh, there's this appeal to some kind of fame and free stuff that can come along with YouTube and not only is that a very challenging thing to accomplish but as you start getting closer towards it you realize like wow that is not satisfying so I would pursue the things that you are interested in. And if you haven't developed interests yet, I think this is a common thing for young people is like, you don't necessarily know what you're really into yet. You're probably into video games. Try getting into something else. Try becoming great at something because it's been really rewarding to me to dive really deep on challenging topics that I used to be really bad at, to really learn the intricacies of color grading to understand exactly how audio preamps work, which I only understand it so much, but to, you know, dive into the signal chain of your um, preamps. I'm still on the preamp path. Uh, You know, 
don't be afraid to to really dive deep into the things that you care about because it's so much more powerful to understand them well than to have a huge audience. Because if you can speak clearly about whatever your passion is, that's what's going to bring you the reward. It's about being able to be part of a community much more than some sort of vague like celebrity or, or any of that. Like the rewarding things to me about podcasting and, and YouTubing and doing anything in the public is meeting people like you and making friends that have similar interests and being able to speak directly to the companies that make the stuff that I love. Like that's what's great about it. It's the community stuff that will really matter in the long run. So do not get distracted by numbers or, or trying to be big or trying to get free stuff. Don't get distracted. Try to be good at it and then just be part of a community and you will get the most rewarding things out of it. That was fabulous. Well done. Should I do a second take? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Everybody go follow Tyler at Stallman Everywhere. Uh, we just came up with this merch <laughs> and, and line. buy that merch once it's available. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tyler, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, man, for coming on. Dave, thanks so much for having me on. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Tyler Stallman. It really was a joy for me to interview an interviewer. It's a lot of fun to interview somebody that knows how to work the mic. And he kept asking me questions. And uh, I know you guys don't care to hear my answers all the time, but I appreciate him being a great guest and in a way a host. I think it's hard for anybody who's an interviewer to turn that off. I found that with Sarah Dietschy when I interviewed her and then <laughs> with Tyler. If you haven't listened to my conversation with Sarah, go check that out on the backlog of this podcast. I'd like to recommend that you guys check out Tyler's podcast as well if you haven't heard it yet. It's just called The Stallman Podcast and you can find it, you know, in the same place that you're listening to this. Just search Stallman Podcast. He's had some amazing guests on, so go give that a subscribe and a follow because if you like this show, I have a feeling you're going to enjoy his show as well. Also, again, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to this show. If you listened all the way to the end and you're not a subscriber yet, please hit the subscribe button. It really means a lot to us and it helps the algorithm with the whole iTunes situation and the recommendations and all that nerdy stuff. So if you subscribe and if you especially leave a rating and review, that can really help this show grow. So I'd really appreciate if you did those things if you're a fan of the show. We've got another great guest lined up for next week. His name is Renee Ritchie. If you haven't heard of him yet, go search him on Google and see for yourself. He's an amazing tech journalist, YouTuber, podcaster, and it was another interview with an interviewer or a podcaster, and uh, it went really well. I just finished that podcast with him, so get ready for that. Again, subscribe so you can hear my conversation with Renee Ritchie. We're super grateful to have you guys here listening to the Golden Hour podcast every single Tuesday. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. We'll see you next week.